You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning, Black Forest Chapel. We are Derek and Courtney Miller. We're excited to be with you this morning um, from our little studio in our garage. Um, We're going to sing a couple songs of worship together, and we just invite you to enter in with us this morning.
Thank you, Black Forest Chapel. And these are our children that just decided to enter in at the end. God bless you guys. Thank you all so much. Well, good morning, Black Forest Chapel, and good morning to all of you who are visiting us online. Um, we're glad you're here to worship with us, even though we're still in our homes and not gathered together. Uh, we're thankful for the technology and the ability to be able to share God's word with one another, hopefully to encourage and build one another up. So thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I, like you, are pretty tired of uh, not being able to come together as God's people. I think we all are. And so just all the more reason to be in prayer fervently, daily, um, for the authorities, for our governor, for um, our COVID-19 numbers to continue to go down so that they will allow us to reopen in a timely fashion. Um, we pray because uh, we know that God moves and God hears and God acts on our behalf. So please continue to pray that we can open soon. Um, it's just, it's very strange. If you think of a shepherd out in the middle of a field and there's no sheep around, it's kind of how I feel. It's just a guy in a field with a stick. It's kind of strange. So um, we want you to come back. We, we desire to gather together again, and I desire to speak directly to you in your faces and not to a camera. So um, please be in prayer about that. Um, the elders and myself, we are keeping tabs and watching the news reports. We're um, trying to stay up to speed about uh, when things might reopen again uh, at the current, um, the current state that we're in. Uh, the governor is going to kind of check again on May 25th, I believe, at the end of May, and determine if our numbers are um, not spiking due to the current safer at home order, where some things have been able to reopen. Um, then hopefully that's going to be a time when churches will be allowed, be allowed to reopen with some mitigation, with some changes in place. And so uh, we're hopeful for that, that perhaps in June, we don't know for sure, but please be in prayer that when they take a look at the numbers at the end of May, that they look good and that we can move forward and, and reopen. Um, in the meantime, we will be preparing the best that we can. We will be planning to mitigate and make the changes we need physically at the church. We already made some changes here and there. Uh, we are planning on, you know, depending on what the order will be, but we're planning on removing some rows of chairs and so that there's greater distance in between one another as we're sitting um, we'll put some of the chairs in maybe clusters or, or uh, sections so that families can sit together and they can still be distanced from other families if, if necessary. Um, we've got hand sanitizer flowing like a river here, so we've got plenty of that. Um, we'll, have, we'll have all of the processes in place. We'll email those to you. We'll have signs up just so that we know how to kind of reengage as the church. And so we will be preparing some of the physical things for when we come back together. Um, in the meantime, as we open God's word this morning, I want to talk about how do we prepare ourselves spiritually to re-engage as God's people? How do we prepare ourselves to come back and be the church? Many of us have been sitting on, you know, on the sidelines. We haven't been able to re-engage. It's been a little over two months since we had our last gathering. And so... Um, for some of us, I fear that we're just kind of waiting this out, waiting for the time to end, and then we'll find our seat and dust it off, and things will go back to normal. The question I have is, do you really want it to go back to normal, in the sense that we all should be progressively moving toward Christ-likeness? We should be desiring to be more like Jesus. 
desiring to be the gospel-centered community that God has made here. He has created a people for himself. And so this is a time not to just sit back and wait, but a time to be actively seeking God. And when you come through those doors to be the people of God, and hopefully a new and an exciting way that we can move forward in mission. And so I just want you to consider that as you wait for us to give you the green light that perhaps you need to prepare your heart to come back and be the church. And we're going to take a look at um, part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossa um, related to that. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning, if you want to open your Bibles. Colossians chapter 3 will be in verses 1 through 17. And let's pray together as we open God's word. Father, we thank you that you're our heavenly Father, that you live in heaven, you're above all things, you are sovereign, you're in control. We can trust you, you are good, you are loving, you are just. And you love this world, you loved us so much that you sent your son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth, for dying for us. You spilt your blood for the forgiveness of sins. You incurred the wrath of God so that we don't have to. Thank you for your righteousness that's been imputed to us, that's been put in our account. Thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to indwell us as believers. We might walk in this world differently. And that you give us the power to do that. That, that, that is the truth of the scriptures. That is the reality of of our life as believers. We belong to you. We are protected by you. And so fill us, Holy Spirit. Help us to understand your words this morning, to receive the truth that we're about to, to hear and to then live it out, Father. Not on our own strength, Lord, but by your strength. So we submit ourselves to you now, Lord. We don't want to stand over the word and tell you what we want to do. We want to sit under the authority of your word, and listen to what you would have us do, how you would have us live. Give us the strength, Lord, because we don't have it on our own to obey. Move in us, Lord. Cause us to be your people. Help us to truly experience your joy as we walk in obedience. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to come back, hopefully soon, um, many of us have perhaps been enjoying some comfortable things, some old things. Uh, when, we, when we are kind of in, in a stressful environment, when we feel pressure, when we feel discouragement, when we have some uncertainty, we're not sure what to do, what do we do as humans? We tend to go back to old things, to comfortable things. Uh, maybe it's an old pair of clothes. Um, my wife's got sweaters from high school that look like giant frayed sleeping bags, but they're, they're just big, comfortable pieces of clothing, right? Something that you can go back to, and it's just, there's something comfortable about it. You sit on the couch, and you kind of just feel good for a while. Um, comfortable foods. Most comfortable foods consist of about 99% cheese, from my understanding. Our boys, we, we have a joke. We get some, the, the queso, the Tostitos queso, the cheese dip, and, and once that thing's opened, it's gone. 
but we heat that up and we have chips and, and queso and we call it our comfort cheese, right? It's very comforting going down and creates a lot of discomfort later in the day, but it's very comforting going down, right? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a place that you like to go to that's just familiar. There's nostalgia, there's familiarity, there's, there's a sense of just, um, you don't really have to work at anything there. Nothing is new, so it just feels good for a moment. So those comforting things can be good, and they can be helpful for a time. But there are comfortable things, there are old things that are not good for us, that we have to be aware of, that we have to be cautious of, that we need to be warned about, that we need to be encouraged not to go back to. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we're called to be a new creation. We have, we have a, we're called to put on new clothes, if you will, and, and to put off the old. And so when we have a moment of discouragement, despair, uncertainty, when we're stressed, unfortunately, the flesh that we still contend with, because we're not perfected yet, tends to go back to some of the old things, our old sinful ways. And Paul is calling us out of that, calling us to a new life, to put on the new self. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And as we prepare to come back as God's people, I encourage you that whatever old ways you may have settled back into during this quarantine, during this isolation, you've been away from God's people, you've been away from encouragement, you've been away from from having that face-to-face, that presence of, of a godly brother or sister who can lift you up, who can pray for you. Whatever sinful ways, whatever old ways you've settled back into, you need to wake up out of that. You need to take off that old stuff and put on the new again and walk with Christ and come in those doors ready to be on mission, ready to be part of a gospel-centered community. We need you to do that. And so hopefully this will be encouraging for you as we read. Let's take a look at what Paul has to say in, in, uh, in chapter 3. And just to give you before a little bit of background, the, the, the church in Colossae is um, an Asian minor, so it's modern-day Turkey, as we would know it, but about 100 miles east of Ephesus in the same region or valley as Laodicea, Heropolis during that time, about a day's journey each direction. A very small city, kind of insignificant in many ways. And so the church probably was somewhat small as well, but it didn't stop Satan and false teachers from innervating the church and trying to corrupt the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Epaphras, who we see in in chapter 1, is is the minister. He's been teaching the people. So Paul probably did not plant this church. He doesn't really know anybody there, but Epaphras he does know. And and so Epaphras is... is, uh, had asked Paul whether he journeyed to Rome while Paul's in prison as he writes this or, or however he got the, the news to him. He's, he's asking Paul. So Paul's writing this letter to the church and providing some, some sound um, spiritual doctrinal correction when it comes to some of the false teaching that was taking place. And specifically what was happening here um, was the, the false teaching of Gnosticism, the Gnostics who they claimed that a special knowledge, that knowledge itself, a special knowledge will emancipate or free the divine soul that we all are that's trapped in an evil body. So flesh and matter are evil, and the, the soul is divine. They didn't really believe in, in God creating everything. The, the creation account was, was something that they thought was a lie. Jesus himself was just... 
um, an emissary of divinity that came to provide special knowledge, but he was not really the son of God. And so Paul's arguing for the deity of Christ, as we see um, in this letter. It's a short letter. It's something that you can read very quickly, and, but it's packed full of some really good things. But he's dealing with this, this philosophical, knowledge-based corruption of the gospel where we can ascend through knowledge to free ourselves. And, and if you get into this, this heresy, this false teaching, it's really messed up. I don't, I don't even understand why anyone actually believed that, but that's once again when our minds are darkened, our, our understanding was darkened before we had the, the Holy Spirit illuminating the scriptures. Um, we, we believed a lot of very weird things. Um, but Gnosticism is very strange um, in, in what they believe. And so um, they were innervating the church and, and taking the, the true gospel of Jesus, which was already bearing fruit. It was already, it was already causing many to come to salvation. They were already seeing great fruit from the, the true gospel. But these people were coming in and talking about asceticism, so beating down or controlling the body because the body is evil. They were talking about praying to angels and talking about visions, and they were passing judgment on on the various um, celebrations within the church. They were bringing deceit. And so Paul was bringing back truth. And then Paul was bringing back the understanding about the body and how we are to live differently. See, the, the false teachers want, want you to... Stop looking at God and start looking at everything else around you. And Paul's saying, no, you need to look at God. He is the full revelation that we need. God is the one who contains the knowledge of the truth, not anything else. It's not from within. It's not around here. It's in God himself. Jesus embodies the treasures and the mysteries of knowledge that we want to really, truly unlock. He's the one. And so Paul is, is, is commending them for their faith, their love for the saints, but also warning them. And in chapter 3, he begins in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so from this text this morning, I want to look at... um, four different actions that the Christian is supposed to be engaged in when it comes to being sanctified, walking in the truth, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, Paul talks about in chapter 1. And so the title of this sermon is simply Old versus New. Old versus New. And how do we move from the old and then begin to live more victoriously, abundantly in the new? When there's, and there's four main components that, that Paul lays out for us in these verses. And so very simply, the four is going to be seek, set, put, and let. Seek, set, put, and let. And it might seem like a weird grammar lesson or something like that. It's not. It's just simple words, and Paul's using them, so we're going to use them as well. So the first one is seek. How are we to prepare ourselves? How are we to prepare our hearts? What are we to be doing different in light of the gospel of Jesus that is actually bearing fruit, what are we supposed to be doing? How do we acknowledge and engage with the truth that Christ has been resurrected and we are resurrected with him? Paul says in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a a gospel-centered Christian, if we are a gospel-centered church, if we've been raised, then we are to seek the things that are above. We've been, we've been called to, to, a, to a different life. We are God's people now. We are his chosen. The, the, the gospel has saved us. Adam sinned against God, and we have inherited a sin nature because of him. But we also choose to sin against God. Sin is rebellion against God. It's disobedience to God's word and God's law. It's rebellion against him. Satan was the, the, the initial actor in all of that, rebelling against God in the heavens, seeking to take the throne from God, to be God himself out of pride. He was cast down, and now he, he seeks to pull and deceive and to tempt people away from the truth and fellowship with God, to tempt them to sin. He did that with Adam. We've inherited that nature and Satan still chooses to um, tempt us to sin, and we, we still give in to those lies. He's the father of lies. And so when we sin against God, we rebel against God. And we know what? The wages of sin are death. Right? Sin requires punishment from a holy God. You know, God is, is, is loving, and he's also just. And so we know the wrath of God is coming because of sin. It's it's the righteous judgment of God because of sinful man. So praise be to God, because God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what have eternal life. And so God sent Jesus from heaven. Remember, God is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, the Trinity. It's a mystery, and it's beautiful. And Jesus came from heaven down to earth as, as a man, and he, he lived, and he grew up, and he ministered, and, and yet he did not sin. And he was sent 
to die on the cross. And he asked his father to take this cup from him, this cup of wrath from him. But not his will, but, but God's will be done. And he endured the cross for our sake and for his joy. And after he died, he was buried and he rose again on the third day. He was resurrected. He overcame death. He paid the price for our sins. And now we can have eternal fellowship and eternal life with God forever because of Christ. If we believe him, believe on him in faith. It's a a beautiful picture. It's salvation. It's hope. The rest of the world does not have hope because they... They trust in themselves. They try to save themselves, and they can't do it. The Gnostics were trying to save themselves. They were trying to free themselves from this body of death, from all the evil around them. They were trying to outsmart it with their own knowledge. There's no hope in that. Paul is calling us back to hope. So if that is, if that is you, if you have believed in Jesus, if you have believed that gospel... Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, so if we've died with him, we've been raised with him. When we, when we have the ordinance of baptism, it's a visible representation of us dying to self, dying with Christ, being buried with Christ, and being raised again to new life. If we've been raised with Christ, we are to seek the things that are above, right? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us as our helper, as our comfort, as the power to be on mission, to evangelize, to share his gospel. Jesus is at the right hand of God. We should seek the things that are above, not the things that are below. You know, there's there's a saying that the you know, psychologist tells you to look within, right, for answers. Look within. The opportunist says, look around for answers. The optimist says, look ahead. The pessimist, what does the pessimist say? Look out, right? <laughs> Danger around every corner. But what does God say? Where do we, God says, look up. He alone has the answers for us. Set, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. How do we seek the things that are above? God has revealed himself to us through his scriptures. We can pray to God. We talk to him. He, he answers us. He speaks with us. We have the Holy Spirit of God to, to confirm, to convict, to teach, to instruct, to inspire, to God's word and, and, and prayer to God and the fellowship of God's people. These are how we, we seek the things. So we're seeking those things. The next thing is to set. Well, once we seek them, and once we know what those are because we've sought God and God has instructed us through his word and he's taught us this is good and this is not good. This is what I want you to do. What are we supposed to do? Verse 2, set your minds on on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So once we seek those things and God reveals those things faithfully, we are to set our minds on those things. We're to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, not to other good teachers, not to other novel heresies and false teachings. We're not to be getting in just theological wrestling matches perpetually just, to, just for some sense of spiritual entertainment. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are of earth. 
We are to set our minds. It's an action. It's a, it's a, it's an imperative. It's, it's something that it's intentional. We are to be moving toward those things that we know are true. We're to set our minds on them. Our minds are of great importance. In Romans chapter 12, many of us know this scripture. Many of us memorize this scripture. How, how often do we actually obey the scripture? Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And other translation says, in view of God's mercies. So Paul, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, are, he's giving us a very large theological treatise. He's talking about the bad news and then the good news and how that is to live. He's, he's providing all of the, the fullness and the knowledge that God has revealed to him. In light of all that, in light of God's mercies, in light of what Christ has done, what God has done for us, in light of what we actually deserved, which was hell, which was separation from God forever because of our sin. But by God's grace, he has saved those who would believe in Jesus. In light of all these mercies, we are to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To give up yourself. We've died to self. We no longer live. Christ lives in us. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So many of us ask God, what is your will for my life, Lord? What do you want me to do? What is your will? And I had, um, you know, older Christian many years ago, um, I was kind of saying the same things across the table. Don't know what his will is. What should I? And he said through many years of walking with the Lord and through many experiences and through his time in the word, he was convinced more than ever that the will of God is Christ likeness to be like Jesus. Now that doesn't necessarily help my tangible, practical need for an answer in the moment, but ultimately it does help because if I'm following Christ and being more like him, I'll know what to do. I'll be able to discern his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If what? If I'm not conforming to the world and having my mind renewed by the scriptures. And I'm having a conversation with God, I'll know what to do. And even if I don't, I can trust that God does and have faith and step out and have peace in the midst of it. That's good news, right? Especially in a time and a place where everything is uncertain. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'd like, you know, um, just take some, take some time this week and read through Colossians as a book. Read through chapter 3, but spend some time on those first three or four verses. Specifically, that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about that. As you read through this whole letter, let that be kind of the filter or the view. How, how does that, what does that look like? We need, to, we need to meditate on God's word a little bit and not just a cursory read. That sounds really nice. It's a really cool bumper sticker. We can find it on pens and in bookmarks. But what does it really mean? We have died. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Spend some time with that.
we often fear too much and we spend too much time blaming God or thinking that he's left us or that somehow he's removed himself from us. And, but the truth of the matter, if you are a believer, if you've been raised with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ, fully protected with Christ in God, meaning nothing can touch you. Nothing can harm you outside of God's sovereignty and his will. There's nothing that can take place because you're hidden with Christ in God. It's the safest place to be. So we seek and then we set our minds. And then Paul gives us some practical application here for what to do with these things that we've set our mind on. So we know what is true. We know what the good things are. We're looking to the heavens and not to the earth for answers. What are we supposed to do next? He says in verse 5, put, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This is very strong language, right? We're to mortify. We're to put to death. We're not to mess around with sin. Whatever is earthly in you, whatever, whatever that, that comfortable place you like to go and sit in your sin, wherever that is, you need to put that to death. You need to kill it. One of the Puritans says, you need to be killing sin or sin's going to be killing you. Right? It needs to be an active, intentional practice. Now, before I get into the list of things, because Paul gives us some specific um, actual tangible examples of what this looks like. Um, This is not to go back to a works-based faith where I've got to put all these parameters and I've got to, I've got to set these, these physical pillars around me and I've got to manage all of that to the point where I never sin again in that area. And ultimately I fail and I've got to try again. It's not about our own strength in doing it. It's about an intentionality of seeking the things of God by being in the scriptures, by being in prayer. It's it's such a simple um, prescription, if you will, but it's something that we leave on the shelf. We don't even crack the bottle sometimes. We we look for every other answer first before we go to the Lord, and and that's the, this is the first place we need to go. This is not a break glass only help for us. This is our entire life. We feed on God's word. We are nourished by it. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God. And so we need to be in the scriptures. We need to be seeking the things that are above, setting our minds on those things. And then we, we don't do that alone. And although we've been in isolation for the past couple of months, this is temporary. This is, we, we will be gathering again soon. But I want you to really think about your life before the quarantine. Think about your life before this pandemic took place. How much different was it really? Did you really engage with God's people? Were you discipling someone? Were you being discipled by someone? That's the prescription for spiritual growth that Jesus has given us. That's the model that we have. To teach them as, as, we, as we share the gospel with someone and someone is hurting and their, their life is just going downhill and they have no hope, we share the good news of Jesus, the bad news of their sin, the good news of Jesus' salvation for them. And if they believe in Jesus by faith, they're saved. And what are we supposed to do then? We're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, a celebration, a visual kind of picture of this new life with Christ. And then what? Is that it? Here, here's your seat. We'll, we'll get a name plaque for you to make sure you, you, you can find your seat every week. And here's, here's your list of Christian to-dos and, to, and don't-dos. And, and you'll kind of figure it out how we like to do things here and Make sure you kind of stay in line with our tradition. And if you don't, we don't like what you're doing, we're going to make sure we, we, 
very, in a very subtle and Christian-like way, if you will, judge you to make sure that you conform to our little kingdom here. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? No. We're supposed to be teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded them to do, that Jesus commanded us to do. So seeking God, setting our minds on the thing of God, and starting to put away all of the the stuff, putting to death our old ways, it, it takes time with the Lord. It takes time in the scriptures. It takes time in prayer. But ultimately, we need to be doing those things in the context of God's people, of fellowship, of discipleship, of Bible studies. Discipleship is, is just the key. We, we have to be meeting together one-on-one, groups of, of, of two or three, small group studies, whatever it might be. This is where you grow. This is where you learn. This is where you ask questions. This is where you see Christianity modeled, the life modeled by another believer who's walked a little further than you. This is where you begin to hear someone pray and realize, oh, I can talk to God like that. I didn't know I could do that. I don't know how to talk to him. But I'm listening to this person, and I don't like to talk out loud, but they're really, they have this conversation with him, and they're, they're seeing changes in their life, and their life is still very difficult, and they've got a lot of stuff going on, but somehow they still have hope, and there's joy in this person. I want that. And I, oh, I, I belong to Jesus. I've been raised with Christ. And if I start to seek those things and, and I start to do this in the life of the body, then I'm going to live a different life. I'm going to have this joy that God talks about that Jesus has described. Do you want that? And so before the pandemic, before the shutdown, how often were you engaging with God's people? To help you do what Paul is talking about here. How often were you showing up to service? being part of the gathering and the worship and the the corporate exaltation of God's name here at Black Forest Chapel. Perhaps you took it for granted and maybe that will change. I hope it will. But not just because you can't have it now. Hopefully it'll change because you want it because you're experiencing more of God and you want to experience more of him through his people. You want to serve him by serving his people. You want to love him by loving his people. Maybe when you came to your Bible studies, you weren't really prepared. You just showed up because, well, someone else is leading the class. I'll just pick up a few things here and there, a couple nuggets to take with me. There's no life in that. If you know what you're reading ahead of time, why aren't you in the word? Why are you coming to be a living sacrifice for the sake of others and not just coming to serve yourself? And perhaps because you're not doing those things, you're not obeying God in his word as to how to live this Christian life. Perhaps that's why you live in fear. Why you are uncertain and anxious about many things. You're unable to discern God's will, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And you're just reactive in this life instead of proactively walking in confidence and faith. So think about that. When we do come back together, how are things going to change for you? How are you preparing to be the church? How are you preparing to come back? We seek the things that are above. We set our minds on the things that are above. And then because of that, we put to death what is earthly in us. And Paul gives us an example. Sexual immorality. This is any illicit sexual behavior, sexual intercourse outside of the confines of God's design. So fornication, having sex outside of marriage, 
God designed sex to be within the context of marriage for very specific reasons. For our safety, for our good, and for his glory. Adultery. Homosexuality. Pornography. And Jesus even qualified it in the New Testament when he says lust, lusting after someone. Sexual immorality. Why is that first on the list? It's a major problem in Asia Minor. It's a major problem in the pagan society around the Church of Colossae. It's a major problem for us today. It hasn't changed. Sexual immorality, impurity, kind of goes along with that. Defilement, right? Passion. Having, having an affection or desires for bad things, really, contextually. Going after the wrong things. These are all kind of fit together. Evil desires, covetousness. Seeking after, wanting, desiring more of something that is not good for us, which is idolatry. So Paul even qualifies it for us. Seeking after other things except for God. Scott Barbie talked about that last week. Are you devoted to God or are you devoted to other things? Idolatry is a big deal. Verse 6, we see how big it is. On account of these... Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Do you, have you ever just thought about the wrath of God for a moment? And there's, there's places in Scripture that, that sort of describe it, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of his fury. And once again, this wrath is a divine judgment on sin, sin and sinful man. And sometimes we think that of that as being harsh, but we, we want a loving God, but I, I believe we also want a just God. Because right? surely we blame him for many things when we feel like he's being unjust. He's perfect. He's good. He's always just. We just can't see everything. But we desire justice as well. If something, if a criminal did a criminal, um, you know, some type of activity against your, myself or my family or someone that you know, as Christians, we're called to forgive them, but we would expect justice for that activity. That would be right and good for them to be punished for an evil act, for a criminal act against someone. We would see that that would be just. And so God, in his righteous divine judgment as the Holy One in heaven, against rebellious sinful man, will pour out his wrath as a judgment. That is what's coming. If you want to look at some examples of this, um, God's judgment on um, his own people and Israel, as well as the surrounding nations, Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25 talks about God's wrath related to um, um, his people just not listening to him. He, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet and telling them to, to, to walk the the straight and narrow, to not go to the right or to the left, to obey God, to love God, and that he would be their God, they would be his people, and they continue to rebel against him, they continue to sin against him, disobey him, 
give in to their own passions and give in to all of these things. And so he brings the, the cup of judgment, the cup of, of his wrath, and he, makes, he pours it all out and he makes them drink all of it. And he warned them about that. And so Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25, Revelation 16, we see some of, some of what the wrath tangibly, wrath of God coming tangibly looks like. So the wrath of God is coming because of these things. And the wrath of God has already come on the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that he asked for the cup to be passed from him. It was the cup of God's wrath. And so we're saved from our sins, not just because Jesus was mocked and ridiculed, and not just because Jesus was, was nailed to a cross. Because crucifixion was the, the standard mode of execution in, in Roman times. Other people were nailed to a cross. They didn't save our sin, us, us from our sins, right? So it was because he died, but it was because the wrath of God was poured out completely upon Jesus because of our sins. The full fury and wrath of God, the, the divine judgment of sin was poured out every drop until Jesus said, it is finished. The wrath of God that is coming, the wrath of God that has already come on Jesus himself, who paid the price for our sins because of this stuff. And so Paul's saying, put to death these things. Why would you want to participate in the very things that is incurring the wrath of God that has already punished your Savior and your friend Jesus? Why would you want to participate in those things? Seek things that are above. Set your mind on those things. Put to death these earthly things. Verse 7, And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. He gives us some more examples. In case you felt like the first list didn't apply to you. There's, there's plenty more for us to, to look at. We must put them, remove them, cast them off, all of them, all various types of sin away. Anger, wrath, or rage, which is like a hot anger. Malice, which is just doing evil things, bad things to people. Slander, which is using your words to harm people. Obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You want knowledge? You want to know how to live? You want to know how to have hope to be free from this body of death? Seek the Lord. Put on the new self. Put on Christ. In Romans 13, beautiful way that Paul describes this. Romans 13, verse 11 Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than we, were, than we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off, same word here, the works of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Beautiful word pictures here, right? Cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us walk or let us live properly, as in the daytime. You know, people that want to sin, what they, they seek darkness. They look to pull the blinds down and cover up their sins, but you can't hide from God. 
Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put to death, put away. And then put on, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We're to put to death, we're to put away the old self, those old clothes, right? And put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, these virtues of the kingdom of God. It's, <clears throat> it's, it's not just about putting away it's not just about trying to stop the sin in our life and control the sin. It's about putting on the virtues. There's a, there's a, I, read a, I was reading a book recently called The Power of Habit. And they talk about how do you change habits long term. And for those who just try to stop the habit cold or to stop a habit um, by itself, tend to go back to that habit again and again and again. There are too many cues in our experiences and in our minds that, that trigger us to go back to that habit. So instead of, instead of just removing a habit, you need to replace it with something else. You need to replace that habit with something else. You need to replace those cues with something else. So, so when, when that cue comes up, when that stressor comes up, when a, you replace the habit with something more favorable, and over time, that, that, that your neural pathways change and that new activity becomes your habit. We don't just take off the old, we put on the new. And we can't have them all working together either. If you're working out in the yard, you're working in the garage, you're working on the job site or something, and your, your clothes are dirty and, and you're, you're pretty filthy from the day of work, and you have a formal event that night, you're going out to dinner with your spouse for an anniversary, you're going out with your family for some reason or whatever it might be, you don't go home with all of your dirty clothes and just put the, the, the clean clothes on top of them. That doesn't make any sense. You take the old off and you put the new on. Right? We put to death, we put away, and then we put on our spiritual clothes as God's chosen ones. If many of you have served in the military, some of you um, still do, some of you have and continue to serve, and whether you're in the fire department, the police department, a uh, paramedic, maybe you're in the medical field, maybe you're a dentist. That one's for my wife. Maybe you, have, maybe you serve in any of these capacities. You probably have a uniform. You have something that you put on to do your work. And when you put that on, when you put that uniform on, you, you belong to a to um, a certain group. It identifies you as belonging somewhere. If you see someone with a certain military uniform on, you know they belong to the Air Force or to the Navy. Or if you see a, a fireman, you know they belong to the fire department or to the police. You know they belong because of their uniform. It's, it's identifiable for you because you've seen it before. You know that. 
So they belong to a certain group and they have a specific job or duty to do. They don't do everything. They have a specific duty. They have a specific job. We are, as God's chosen ones, as holy and beloved, to put on our uniform, if you will, our spiritual clothes. They are to be identifiers. We are to have fruit from our life. And what do we put on? What are we actually putting on? We're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, all of his attributes. And Paul gives us examples, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. If you have a complaint against someone else, you talk to them about that. You forgive that person. You put on love. It binds everything together. God wants peace and unity in his church as his people. And so as we talked about earlier, when we're looking to make physical changes in the church as we prepare to come back, we need to be making these spiritual changes in our life as we prepare to come back and be the church. We're going to be removing rows of chairs so that you have greater distance to stop the spread, potential spread, to prevent the spread of the virus. So we'll be removing and making space. You need to be removing, putting away the sins in your life, the earthly things, the worldly principles, the things that you used to live, the darkness you used to walk in. You need to put those things away and make room and make space for the grace and the love of Jesus Christ to encourage you and for you to give it away to others. Some some of us are going to be wearing masks. We're going to put a mask on. Why? To stop droplets from leaving our mouth and potentially spreading the virus. We put on a mask. Maybe we also need to be putting on humility and meekness and patience so that we're not allowing what slander and lies to leave our lips. It's so easy to focus on the physical. We need to be focused as God's people on the spiritual, what it means to be a believer in Jesus, how to walk and live this life differently. We need to put on all of these things. We seek, we set, we put, and then we let. When we do these things, when we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, walking in humility and meekness and loving one another, forgiving one another. When we do those things, we submit to God and we we do what? We let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Our, Our progressive sanctification becoming more holy is both the work of the Spirit in us as we submit to him and the work of our obedience as we walk in light of what we've learned, in light of the truth. And here we are to submit, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. We were called to be one body. And so please don't, please don't come back. You don't, obviously, none of us will ever be perfect on this side of heaven, but please don't come back not having prepared yourselves. If you have any of these earthly things that you're still holding on to, that you keep going back to, if you're still wearing your old clothes, please put on the new 
and come back and be prepared to bless God's people and to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. Spend time in his word. Ask him about this, how to do this. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Also, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? Why do we need the word of Christ to dwell in us richly? So that we can let teach and admonish one another. You say, well, I'm not a teacher. Well, yes, you are. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're supposed to what? Teach new believers everything that Jesus has commanded us to do. That's discipleship. That's meeting with someone. You're not gonna, just, you think of the word teacher, you think of this in the pulpit. and having, No, we're, but we're all to be growing in the knowledge of Christ. We're all to be growing in our understanding of the scriptures and the truth of God's word. And then we're to give that away and to talk to people about it and how it's impacting and changing your life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, not superficially, not cursory reads, not quick devotions, which is an oxymoron in itself. Let it dwell in you richly so you can teach, you can admonish, you can warn. We don't like to be warned for some reason. We don't like to be told no. Right? We are always welcome in in the church amongst God's people. We are welcome to come as we are. But never in Scripture does it say you're welcome to stay that way. <laughs> We're supposed to be growing, changing, transforming, being renewed. And somehow when someone in the church, in obedience to God's word, out of love for our brothers and sisters, when we say no, or lovingly say, you know, that's not right, and you, you're, you're going in this direction, and you need to come back here, and because God said so, because he loves you, and Christ died for you, and because of what you're doing, the, the wrath of God is coming. Don't partner with darkness. Walk in the light. Somehow we, we have a, an affront to that. We feel like, well, you're just judging me. We use worldly principles and arguments against that. Instead of receiving that, it's going to hurt a little bit. It's not going to feel good to say, to hear that you're doing something that's wrong. But in humility, we need to receive it. And we do this. We teach and admonish one another with what? In all wisdom. Not recklessly, not with anger, but in wisdom. And what do we do together as it relates to all this? We sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We are God's people. We are being built up. We are praising his name. We are the visible gospel. And then we can go out. This is a, this is a center for evangelism by simply how we gather and how we love one another. The world will know that we are his disciples by what? Our love for one another. Are you doing that? Are you really investing? Are you sacrificing? Are you serving in this church? Have you found a place of need and have you stepped in and said, I'm going to serve because I see that this is going to help people's lives be changed. This is going to help the gospel to go out. This is going to help families come in and sit and, and, and hear the gospel of Jesus and be encouraged by God's word and be able to lift up praises to God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I can in this place, in the foyer, and in the kitchen, in the children's ministry, in the nursery, in the youth room, to help this church grow. I'm not going to sit in my seat anymore, sufficiently socially distanced from people, and just keep consuming. That's not. I'm going to prepare my heart to come back and invest 
and to be part of God's movement. And that is where our hope is. If you're living at home right now in isolation and you feel despair coming on and, and just the, the, the weight and the fatigue of the shutdown, and you want hope, again, obey the Lord. Seek him. Set your mind on those things. Put away the things of darkness. Put away earthly things. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the virtues of the kingdom. You can do this. God has freed you to do this. And when you come back, celebrate with us the victory that you've had in Christ. Take someone that you don't know or someone that you do know and take them out to coffee or sit with them and teach them what God is teaching you. Walk with them. Help them to grow. If you're young and you don't know what to do, seek someone who's older who maybe looks like they know what they're doing and say, I want to learn. I want to know God's word more. Can you teach me? This is how we act and live as the church. And when we do that, the world will know that we are his disciples. This is, this is a visible, evangelistic, gospel-centered reality. This is how the body life is to be. We need to be thinking outside of ourselves, thinking about the greater mission. If anything now, after all this, we should know the fragility of the world around us, the propensity of sinful man to make things worse. If there's anything that, is, that we're confident in, anything that is still solid and firm that we can actually count on, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is what grows the church. The gospel is what builds God's people. The gospel is what saves and gives hope. Let it fill you again with hope and let your hearts be prepared to give it away. Last verse in our application, if there hasn't been enough already for you. Verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That seems like a, like a tall order, right? How, how do, so I was just thinking through, how do, we, how do I do that? Whatever I do, how do I do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, we start by being in the word and in prayer, by helping one another through these things, by putting to death, putting away, putting off the old clothes. And we need to help one another with that, right? Have you ever seen a toddler, you know, um, at Christmas time, kind of all sweaty, running around with their toys, and they, they need to take their sweater off, and they can't get it over their big head, and they sit there and struggle with it, and they're walking around, they can't get the sweater off? You guys have seen this, right? Everyone has seen that. And after a couple hours of watching this, then you decide to help them and I don't know, a couple of seconds, sorry. But it's funny at first, and then it's just sad, right? They need help. They need help getting this old this, this clothes off that's that's causing them discomfort. We need to help one another with that. Stop watching your brother or sister struggle with these old clothes. Step in and help them. Help them out of that old piece of clothing. Help them put on the Lord Jesus Christ as God's chosen ones. And as we do all of those things, we should be mindful of our words and our deeds and do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And so the question I have is, can you slander someone? Can you talk about someone negatively in the name of the Lord Jesus? Man, I... I I cannot stand that person. They, they're just, they're just such a problem. They make me so angry. I just, 
I'm done with them. I don't want to talk to them anymore. And I just, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Can, can you really do that in your heart? Can you say, in the name of Jesus, when you're using those words? Can you, can you tell a, um, can, can you speak to someone in anger? Can you have malice towards someone in your heart? Can you lie to someone in the name of Jesus? And give thanks to the Father, truly? You, you can't. Can you complain and grumble? And can you watch that television show that you know has sexual immorality spread throughout it? Can you turn that show on and say, I'm going to watch this terrible program in the name of Jesus? Can you do that? If you see someone who has a need and there's an opening to share the love of Christ with them physically, tangibly, through your words, in fear, in indifference, apathy, disobedience, can you walk away from them and say, I don't feel like talking to them right now. I really don't want to help them. They didn't help me last week. I'm not going to help them. I'm not going to share Christ's love with them in the name of Jesus. Can you do that? You probably can. So whatever word or deed that you have in the coming week, see if you can do all of those things in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you can't, those are probably some things you need to put away. Those things you need to put to death. And everything you're able to say in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to the God as you do or as you say, those are things you're putting on. You're becoming more compassionate in your heart. You're seeing kindness and the goodness of God, the humility, the meekness of Christ, his patience, his forgiveness coming through your life. That is, that's a good place to be. So let us as God's people prepare ourselves in that way to come together, to bless one another, to build one another up. And ultimately, to be a gospel-centered community that cares about the lives and the eternities of those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us, you speak to us, you care about us. You sent your son to save us. You call us holy and beloved. We are your chosen ones. We are your saints. We get to walk in light because of you, and we have eternity because of you. We get to spend eternity with you, Father, in heaven. It's an amazing thing. We should stop and think about these things and think and meditate on the truth of your scriptures to seek the things that are above, to set our minds on those things that are above, to put to death, to put off our old ways, Lord, and to put on the righteousness of Christ and to walk daily in that and to give you glory, to praise your name as we do everything, whether word or deed, Father. So we thank you, Lord, for your, the truth of your scriptures. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working in us. I pray that you would help us to receive and help us to obey. Help us to truly be the church, to be your people. We pray, Father, that you would bring us back quickly together. We pray that by the end of this month, we would see a drop in numbers and we would see the order being lifted and you would move in the hearts and the minds of authorities to reopen the church so that we can come back together. We desperately miss one another, Lord. 
We ask that you would sustain us, help us until that time comes. But Lord, you are faithful. And as we seek you, Lord, we pray you would help us to prepare our hearts to live differently. And right now, as we're in our homes and maybe going to work at the grocery store, there is ministry to be done all around us. There are lost people everywhere. Help us to boldly, with the courage that comes from you, the confidence that comes from the good news of Jesus Christ that has saved us, out of gratitude and thanksgiving, Lord, let us share that goodness with others and invite them into your family. Help us to be a church that truly is after you, Father, your heart, your glory. May we spend time with you this week, devoted to you in prayer, talking with you, Lord, and and in your word. May your word richly dwell in us, prepare us to be those who teach and admonish in all wisdom to build up your church. We thank you, Father, and we ask that you go with us now through our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, and uh, we truly hope to see you soon. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.